Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing, my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers to hear their stories, what inspires their creations, what decisions changed their careers, what relationships influenced their work. To be the offspring of filmmaking genius Francis Ford Coppola is to eat, sleep, and breathe cinema. Sophia Coppola should know. His youngest child and only daughter appeared on screen before she could talk, playing an infant in his 1972 masterpiece, The Godfather. As Hollywood royalty, Coppola's success may have been predestined, but her path to greatness was far from paved in gold. Before turning 20, she endured the sudden death of her oldest brother, followed by a vicious media storm from critics regarding her performance in The Godfather Part Three. And then things changed. Now an Academy Award-winning filmmaker in her own right, it's safe to say Sofia Coppola's found her stride. Her movies are extraordinary, arresting and elegant. These days, the critics agree. At 46, she's taken home more awards than some get in a lifetime, including an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay and a Golden Lion Award for Best Picture for my personal favorite, Somewhere. Finishing her most recent film, The Beguiled, has sent Coppola into a familiar space, wondering what's next. I wait until I finish a film, and then there's always kind of a panic, I'm I'm ever going to do anything ever again. And then somehow something, um, you know, sparks some interest, but then you never know if that's really what you're going to focus on. So, yeah, usually after I finish a project, I sort of think about what I'm interested in and then and try to be open to different things. And then finally something ke- keeps nagging at you that wants your attention. And Did that work with this last film? Was that the case with the last film? Yeah, this one was um, my my friend Ann Ross, who's my production designer. She We were working on a commercials after a film, and I didn't know what I was doing. And she just said in passing, like, you have to see this Don Siegel film, The Beguiled. I think you need to remake it. And I was like, what? I would never remake a movie. And I knew that people, I never saw the film. I didn't know about the film. But people that really know, like cinephiles, you know, love that movie. And it's it's a classic in that genre. And I watched it. And it was so not what I expected. It, it takes a turn. And it, I just, it just stayed in my mind. It was so weird. and It just stayed in my mind. And then I kept thinking about god i would do it this way and i it's 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 you know a story about a house full of women but told from a real real kind of macho guy's point of view i thought oh it'd be interesting kind of to tell the same story kind of flip it and tell a different version so i i found the book which was out of print and it's told by the story of all the different characters but um who, who wrote the book thomas culligan when did that come out how long ago it looked like a kind of Pulp fiction of the '60s. Not it's not quite classic literature, and um, you know, very like genre. And and then I try to forget about the film. But is that yeah. hard? To, I always hear people say that, and then I forget about the film. I is tried it hard to, to do? Yeah, yeah, because you have things in the back of your mind. I tried. I didn't watch it again for you know a few years, but it still stays in the back of your mind, kind of like a, a dream. I don't know if it's a memory. Or how much is my imagination, or what I remember from the other film? But um, but yeah, I feel like it's always different how you end up starting a project. Now, for the uh, the film you shot, what was the location? 
We shot in New Orleans. You were in New Orleans. Yeah. We shot in town for the interiors, and then we shot at, at a plantation. Which one? Uh, Maidwood Plantation Maidwood. in Napoleonville. I shot down there once. Oh, I did, did a, a film club place. Did the Hampton Inn? <laughs> yeah, no, we were at the, uh, what's that famous hotel, the, the, the better one? Oh, I don't know. There's something that'll come to me, but we shot at a place called Nottaway Plantation, oh. which was out there, and you'd have to, uh, it, was, it was a bit of a drive. Yeah. And when then we recreated a set of a bayou home in City Park in the middle of town. Oh, yeah, we shot in City Park City one City day. Park, yeah. yeah, it's pretty amazing that that's in the middle of the Incredible. city. We shot like our wood scenes in City Park there. You know, you've made how many films now? Is it eight or nine? Or um, I think this is my sixth. Sixth. And when you make one, do you, when you're there, it's an exhausting process and uh, you have little kids. So does your life with your children mirror your childhood? Because I read where you weren't parked in Northern California going to school and dad was in the Philippines for a year, you went with your father and you guys were all together, correct? Yeah, we always went on location, which um, <laughs> which I thought was fun because it was exciting to go to set. And um, yeah, I, my education is a little patchy. Um, a different education. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I can't multiply. But um, but yeah, so, but I, it was always exciting to live in all these places and we lived, you know, in Oklahoma and, you know, I went to, but I would go to the local schools everywhere. So, it was a fun adventure, but... Um, you do the same with your kids? They come with you? You know, when they were smaller, I brought them everywhere, but now the um, older one's in fourth grade, and it's harder to leave school for them. So this it was a short shoot. It was six weeks, so they just came and visited over Thanksgiving, and um, they stayed in New York with my husband, right. who... Um, he's a musician, and he was... Now he's on tour, so somehow it worked out that he right. could be here. But they, they would come and visit. But they would come to set, and... And they're older now. I mean, they're not little kids. Yeah. Or, yeah. How, they're, they're like seven, yeah, yeah, seven and ten. But they like being on, on set. And, and it's funny because I remember, yeah, it was always fun to hang out on on set. Craft service is probably the most exciting. Well, I was wondering, do any of them, are they like you? Or like, do you see yourself where they get the bug and like you turn around, there's your door. You have a boy and a girl? I have two girls. <clears throat> so one of the girls got like an eyepiece and they're looking through the lens. And are It's they... funny, the little one was into looking through the lens. And, and at her school, they did like a little project and she was a cinematographer. So, but um the photography is extraordinary. I mean, the film is a beautiful film. Oh, thank Your you. film, The Beguiled. And who's the uh, cinematographer? His name's Philippe Lassort. He's a French cinematographer. And um, yeah, I loved working with him. He's a real artist. I think the last film he did was The Grand Master with Wong Kar Wai. And, um, and he does a lot of commercials in between. But um, yeah, he's great. And had you, you hadn't worked with him before? No, we'd shot a few commercials. And I knew about him from another cinematographer friend. But it's the first time we did a film together. Do you find for a director that as you grow and as you change, you need to have your staff change with you? You need to change partners in certain ways? Well, I, mean, I can't think of anything more important than that cinematographer relationship. Yeah, a lot of my crew, we've worked together on a lot of projects, and, and it's great to work together and have that shorthand, and they really know me. But with a cinematographer, no, I think it's nice to have those ongoing relationships. I had um, a cinematographer, Harris Savides, that I did a few films with. Who... I worked the one I did in New Orleans, he did. No way. Isn't that bizarre? No way. Harris was the cinematographer. And I loved working with Harris, so... When I met him, I felt like, oh, he's my guy, and he really helped me so much. And then uh, he passed away. Right. Um, so I was sorry to lose him as a friend and as a collaborator. And, but he introduced me to Philippe, so, um, and I really trusted him because yeah, he was an artist, and, and, um, and Philippe really is, is about being, you know, his priority is to make it beautiful and be an artist. 
you acted in a film, in one of your dad's films. I did. And how did that experience, did that have any impact on the way you deal with actors? And beyond that, how do you deal with actors when you've, you've got some pretty famous movie stars in this movie? And how, what is that experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think um, having acted in a movie, it was not my thing at all. I wasn't comfortable doing it, but I was kind of at an age where like, oh, I'll try anything. But I, now I feel like when I'm on set, I know, I think I'm, I know how vulnerable an actor could be, or I feel protective because I feel like they have to. I try to make it as comfortable as I can because I feel like it's you have to you know be comfortable to reveal yourself. And um, I don't know. I try to make the atmosphere as much in the feeling of the the way you want the scene to be, and um, the tone of the room. Yeah, yeah. The whole the whole, I think the whole feeling on set and where you are. I always find it easier to shoot on location than in a stage because you sort of get the atmosphere of the real place. And I'm very collaborative. I'm open to... Like, I never like to plan out how the scene's going to look before the, the actors block it because you don't know what the actors are, are going to do. And you to feel work you want to get your inspiration from them? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I could never storyboard before doing the scene because really, it really starts for me when I see the actors block the scene and you get ideas of, um, you know, what feels right, but working with them. It's good. I mean, this from my experience, it's kind of an either-or. You know, there's people who walk in and in the sense that someone has to decide what's going to happen, a director will walk in and be very hands-on in terms of what you do. Have an idea before. And the difference is how they sell it and how they uh, convey it. Though Some people will walk in and be very uh, precious about it and very uh, polite about it and deferential and go, well, I thought maybe. And there's other people who are like, okay, you walk over here and you do this. <laughs> and you do. There's almost like a puppetry, which when it makes sense— it's uh, it's it's some it's kind of exciting when someone's that clear. Yeah, I always have to work really fast because it's low budget. And we don't have a lot of time to to mess around. So I feel like we have to get in there and block it, and then you see right away. You can tell what works. What movie did you yeah. get to luxuriate the most in schedule wise? I don't think I ever had <laughs> none. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, never. Now, when you cast. Did somewhere have a different title? It was always somewhere. It didn't have a different yeah, title. Yeah, no. But that one was probably we meandered the most in that because there's love not that a lot movie. of plot. Oh, thank I you. I love that movie. Yeah, we were being really indulgent. But when you cast, I mean, that was Dorif, uh, and uh, you've got Nicole and Colin Farrell. I mean, you have these people in these films and uh, Kirsten Dunst. I would assume that an independent film, this cast consciousness has become suffocating. Yeah, yeah. No, it's still like that. No, it was definitely like if you want this, then you get this, and right. and we're just like we're just gonna do. What is, we there can a, do. is there a is there a, a vein of investors and financiers who are in the Sofia Coppola business, and you go back to them to that well again and again? I do have a few distributors that I always go to, and and um, and luckily they've supported what I've done. But this film, the story was owned by Universal from the previous um, film, so. Um, I asked them if they would take it out of their library and let me reinterpret it. And so I was really beholden to, to them and Focus as part of Universal came on board and I was happy that they let me do it. But um, I think it's kind of an odd <laughs> project. So, you know, they it was, you know, a small production. It's odd. In your mind, it's odd. Why? Why is it odd? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess saying, oh, I want to redo this Don Siegel movie. Just the premise is pretty, I don't know. On paper, yeah. Yeah, and and in that genre. I mean, I, I think it's entertaining, and, and now when I see it, I don't think it's... But I think the idea of pitching it was, was sort of out there. I think it's a conservative time right now for... It wasn't gory. Financing. Yeah. Yeah, there's no Kathy Bates hobbling moment for him. He, <laughs> no. It's, he it's, just wakes up, and it's uh, bad news. Yeah, yeah. for me, it's there's a, a more gore than I've ever done with 
a little bit of blood, but yeah, no, right. it's pretty discreet. <laughs> so your father was very kind and very gracious. I did this documentary film about Ken. Oh, yeah, I remember and we seeing did this movie, that. Yeah, I love that movie. movie. Yeah, we had fun. We had fun. We did this movie, <laughs> Seduced and Abandoned, and we shot your dad. And I'm wondering for you, as a child, was film watching, film going both ordinary and extraordinary? Like, did you watch the movies that all the girls your age did and go see movies and see them? Or were you heavily influenced by your dad or both? Yeah, I think I remember the first movie. I don't remember if it was Grease or Bugsy Malone. but So I, I did see some movies that were part of kid culture. But my dad had a screening room, and he was always there was always movies being shown, and we were always around. And, you know, so I remember they were watching Kurosawa or, you know, some movie that kids would normally watch. But they were just around, so I feel like we were exposed to interesting films. But then I would also go to the local movie complex. Bugsy Malone. Yeah. Oh, I remember Purple Rain was my, really, seeing that in the theater when I was 12, like, blew my mind. (laughs) But, so I had a a mix. What was the first moment that when you were watching the Kurosawa, uh, that that stable of films, and you sat there and said, wait a second, there's, there's cinema. Yeah, I don't, but I feel like we were, he was always watching all these movies, and I don't think it really registered, and then somewhere it has to have had, you Yeah, I don't remember the time you know, but I remember him like being on the, I think on the porch watching Yojimbo. Our dog was called Yojimbo after that movie. But um, and and then like really weird. Um, there was this movie like Hitler Mon Amour. There was there was some really weird German art film that was like was creepy. And I remember seeing as a little kid. But there was there was always he was watching cinema while we were. Um, so we do were doing what kids do. Yeah, exactly. So we were kind of half watching it and. Was there ever a film that, I'm not assuming your father was an openness, but was there ever a film that you turned your father onto? Was there like a whole continent of films your father wouldn't get near? And uh, you finally said, oh, you got to watch this. And he watched it. He was like, hey, that's not so you bad. You know what was really funny? Like years ago, did you ever see this R. Kelly hip opera called Trapped in the Closet? Do you know what that is? No. It's so far out. It's him doing this kind of, yeah. Trapped in the Closet, R. Kelly, it's really out there. And we had the video and we were watching it. And my dad started watching it with us. And he's like, this is really creative. But it's really this, like, it's like a long hip-hop video. But it's so, everything's really acted out. And it's really out there. It was just, so it was funny to see him get, get into it's that. It's a very layered hip-hop video. Yeah, I feel like he would have never seen that. But he watched it and he really appreciated it. <laughs> oh, and I remember when I was a kid, we... um for the screening, we could pick movies that we wanted to see, and I had read about Prick Up Your Ears with sure. Gary Oldman. And so, One of my favorites. Yeah, and I was like, I don't know, teenager, and I didn't really know what it was about, but I had like read about it and from London, it was cool, and so he got the movie, and then everyone was like, Sophia, what is this movie? But he, I ended up knowing about Gary Oldman and appreciating him for when he was casting um, Dracula. Dracula. So. Oldman's my favorite mm-hmm. actor. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. He can do anything. Have you ever wanted to write something? Did you write Lost in Translation for Murray? I did. You did? I did. It helps me a lot to picture an actor when I'm, when I'm writing. And I was picturing Bill, and, and so then I was determined that it had to be Bill. Had you met him before? No, I had never met him. I'd never met him. And I spent like a year trying to track him down and and anyone I met I was like do you know Bill Murray and right. yeah so but I had I really had him in mind I wasn't going to make it unless he was doing it so and then what happened how did you finally, finally reach Bill Murray well Mitch Glazer helped me he I'd showed it to him and I knew they him. worked together yeah he's a, a writer and so I and I was I showed him some early drafts as a writer and then I I said you know 
I want to get Bill for this. What do you think? And and I, and he, I think he was impressed that I saw this kind of side of Bill, or he 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 thought it was worthwhile, and finally asked Bill to to meet me. But it was a long process. But thanks to Mitch, I got to. And when uh, you met him, what was that like? I'll never forget. <clears throat> he was wearing seer, a seersucker suit, and I think they were at like El Contenori, that mm-hmm. restaurant. Mitch called me, said, "You know, I'm here with Bill." He says, "Come over," and I've been trying to meet him yeah for like a year, and I went over and. Yes, I remember he was in Searsucker. He was very, uh, very gentlemanly. And we were we were walking out after, and I turned to Bill. And, and there's a moment in Sixteen Candles where she's with the guy that she likes, and she sees her dad, and she's like, "Mal's like that's the one." And I had that moment with him, like, "Oh my God," to Mitch about Bill. But I was um, thrilled for him to even, you know, look at it because it was so hard to track him down. And was it tough to convince him to do the movie? I mean, he's not the easiest person to corral. He's know, just he's not, not committal, and like he didn't have an agent or anything. And it was just apparently you've called like an eight hundred number and leave a message. For yes, him or something, I was know? leaving messages on that eight hundred number, and um, yeah, for like a year, and 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 then finally at the end, he he looked at it and he said, yeah, 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 I might be inclined to do it, but he never would say for sure. And we so we went to Japan just like hoping he would show up, and luckily he did. What was the it was nerve wracking. We didn't have a backup. Coming up, Sofia Coppola reveals her father's advice for getting actors to do their best. In her early days, Coppola struggled to find funding for her movies. I talked with Jimmy Toback, with whom I co-produced Seduced and Abandoned, about just that. I found myself with $2 million cash, which I won in Vegas. Uh, by the way, lest the IRS be listening, my net figure with Vegas is about a minus fifty million. So please right. don't tell me I right, made right, money right. that way, right. uh, as anyone in Vegas will vouch. But in any event, I had that two million. This is nineteen eighty one, and I thought, Christ, I'm not going to hang around here anymore, pounding on doors, chasing money. I'll just bribe Beagleman and get the movie done. To hear more about Jimmy Toback's story. Go to heresthething.org. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Sophia Coppola's Academy Award in 2003 made her the second-ever third-generation Oscar winner alongside Angelica Houston. But while the soft-spoken New Yorker caught the filmmaking bug early... Her mother didn't. After making a few documentaries, Eleanor Coppola released her first feature film last year, a movie titled Paris Can Wait, in which I appear. For Sophia, her mother's new passion is a happy, albeit unexpected, turn of events. I was surprised. I mean, she always did kind of art projects, and she made her documentary, but I never thought she would make this kind of a film, you know, kind of a narrative because um, she's cause she's more avant-garde with her art projects, so yeah, I was I was really surprised. Yeah, it's funny. Does she want to make another one? I think now she's making these short films. She's like, oh, I've got the bug. So yeah, it's fun. It's fun to see that you know in her early eighties, she's younger than all of us. She's very um, energetic. She's in. She just went to Tokyo yesterday. To her movie's coming out there, but. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's fun to see. It's a total surprise. Well, what I loved about her was is that, and I'm not just saying this because it's your mom. What I loved about her is to be on the set with a director who doesn't transmit their tension. Pacino had a line once. He said, uh, "We were shooting The Godfather's funeral, 
out in Queens or Brooklyn, wherever it was. That's perfect. And he said, I remember Francis was sitting on a slab and he was crying. And I said, Francis, we just had a great day and everything is fantastic. And I said, why are you crying? He said, they won't give me one more setup. I remember, I've heard that story. And he said, that's when I knew we were on to something, that Francis cared that much. <laughs> and I thought to myself, wow, you know, it was like uh I remember him telling me, and I don't I can't remember if it was a quote from like Marlon Brando or Al original, that whenever I get the urge to act, I sit down and wait for it to pass. Is that a famous one? But I, I remember mean, that one. Is, uh, I mean, like, when you're when you're on a set, let's assume, ideally, that eighty percent of the time people are doing basically what you want them to do. You've, that's you know, casting is is, yeah. is a big part of directing. But when they're not, what do you do? <laughs> What's your technique? What do you that's do? So, that's such a good question because I'm always worried about that. I remember asking my dad, like, what do you do in that situation? And what do you say? Uh, he told me that he has them talk about their morning and forget the lines and just be themselves and then and then try it again. So right. hopefully try to kind of forget, get them to forget the scene and just be themselves again. But, God, I don't know. I do all kinds of things. Uh, you know, that there's always a panic. But I don't know. I've, I've, I've worked with such great actors that, that usually I'm— That's minimal. Yeah, yeah. Not an issue. What about music in your films? Are you—your husband is a musician? Yeah. And are you very music-centric in your work? I do. I listen. I listen to music when I'm writing, and it's a big part of kind of finding the the world or the atmosphere. And this his band Phoenix did the score for the film, which is it's more minimal. It's not like their their music that they do as a band. Um, so yeah, I just enjoy that part. That that's what I love about filmmaking. It's so visual, but then you get to also incorporate music. And where'd you cut the film? Here in New York. You cut it here in New York. Yeah, at Harbor downtown. No. Mm. Going up to the family farm. No, no, my editor is based here, Sarah Flack, and, um, and I'm she, a New Yorker don't now. Don't you think Sarah would have loved to go to <laughs> New York? <laughs> I know we used to we used to mix out there, but I have kids in school in New York, I so I'm a New Yorker yeah, now. That's true. But yeah, no. But you are. You live here. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Northern California, but I. But no more Paris. I, we have a place in Paris. My husband's French, so we spend time there. But um, but our kids are in kids school there. are here. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. It was fun to be there, but then I got homesick. And, Did you really? Yeah. No, I loved being in Paris, but then it's nice to to be here and get to visit. Now, before you took the direction that you took, you were the girl most likely to what when you were young? Were you Was it understood you would do this? No, not at all. Um, again, I definitely had a flaky period in my 20s. I'm very grateful that there were... No, so no social media. Then there's no, there aren't a lot of photos around of that time. But no, I went to art school. I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a painter. I had so many interests. It was really hard for me to figure out um, what I was supposed to do. I never occurred to me to be a filmmaker. How'd that change? And, yeah, it was really confused because I had so many. You know, I loved music and I loved photography and all this stuff, and I couldn't, I couldn't kind of land on one thing. And then. Um, I made a short film, which I enjoyed while I was in art school. And so it made me think, like, oh, I, something I, I was surprised that I kind of knew how to do it. I didn't realize that I was learning. All, I spent a lot of time on my dad's sets with all of his team my whole life. And then I read this the book, The Virgin Suicides, and I heard they were making a film of it. And I felt very protective. And I felt like, oh, I, I hope they don't mess up this book I love. I hope they do it this way. And I heard a guy was doing it. And to me, it was so much... The gr- a girl's story, and um, so I started writing, a, working on the script, which I didn't have the rights to, and then 
um, just kind of as an experiment to to learn how to adapt a book into a screenplay. And then I finished it, and I was very attached to it, and I felt um, like I had to try to let. What year was that? Uh, I made it in '99, so it was the late '90s. And you were how old then? Um, I was like 28. Young. Or yeah, and I. But I just I love this book and I felt protective of it. So and how I, does that happen? Uh, uh, the, the mechanics of how you end up getting your hands on that and you get to direct that project. So I met um, this couple, the Hanleys, that had the rights to it, and I said, "Will you please read my script and consider it?" And they had someone else, but somehow that fell apart. And and the they, script was the calling card. They read the script and loved it. Yeah, they read the script, and I had a real clear idea of how to make it into. But a if film. you wanted to paint, and you wanted to, and you thought about photography and more visual things, well, how did the writing part begin for you? I wrote stories as a kid, and my dad always talked a lot about screenwriting. That was a, that was where he started, and so he was always talking about you know act structure and writing. So I guess it was something that I was, you know, he was talking about and I was learning about. But um, I don't know. I I I wrote this my first script and somehow um, figured Pulled out how to do it. Yeah. How many days was that shoot? For your first movie, like, regardless of your DNA, for your first movie, did people was, kind of limit you in a certain way? Was it a I mean, tight it was, schedule? It was very, very, very low budget. Low budget. Um, I've never shot more than like 30 days, you know. It's always like 20-something like days. You know, actually, actually, Marie Antoinette was a longer schedule, and I prefer a short schedule. I think it's so intensive. I just like to like get in there and get it done, and it, it's exhausting. A longer shoot, I feel like it's hard to do a long shoot. And, um, and I like that schedule of having to problem solve quickly and you know have to just figure it out and not you know it's more intuitive or something it's interesting how some directors who i've worked with that moment when they're on the set directing the film which is i mean obviously there's the pre-production there's the shooting and there's the, and the editing and the preponderance of directors will say to me that the editing phase is their favorite phase because they're locked down and they're really making the movie yeah i like being in the editing room you do because there isn't the same amount, of, same time pressure, and you can kind of play around. But being on set is exciting and fun because you have all your collaborators and you you're making to, something. But you don't have to answer this question. Yeah. But so, were you ever where you show your father cuts of your film and he has some advice for you, and you're like, no, you know, do you have your own point of view, and you like, yeah, go, it's been. I want to do this. Yeah, and early on, I you know wasn't as confident. He's the the great master of film so I, I would definitely take his opinion but I always end up doing what I want in the end because you know you have to so and this one I waited till I was finished or close to the end to, to show him but and I, yeah, you don't want to have too many opinions so but he's nice he's he's always encouraging and supportive but he definitely has ideas and I remember when I was working on Marie Antoinette he was talking about more about the the characters of the husband and I said no it's not about him it's about her you know because I'm thinking about her so I everyone looks at it from their point of view and, and I feel like sometimes when I watch this last movie, there's a very kind of artistic, I mean, everyone, the girl walking down the lane with the weeping trees and the mist and the costumes, there's a real cinematic reach you have now. Oh, I just I just love that. And um, it's such a beautiful location. Right. And, and I, it, it's, a, it's a visual art form, so the idea of making every frame... The most it can be. Like a painting. Yeah. I the Godfather is like a painting, and so many of the oh, frames yeah, are a so painting. Oh, yeah, so beautiful. And, 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 and it's, a, it's beautiful. I mean, yeah. I, always, I always tell people, watch the movie with the sound off. Yeah, really I the saw film. it at Radio City recently. Yeah. Both of them. It was incredible to see. But I wonder if this, that's true with you. Which are, Do you want to deepen the texture? Do you want to make your films, you want to go further in terms of design and beauty in a kind of almost Kubrickian way of the sets and the costumes? Or uh, are you going to go make a movie where like 
two chicks are in a car. Yeah, no, I like the vi- the visual part of it, and then how you tell the story visually. I think that's I don't know that is exciting and interesting to me. Now, this last film of yours was probably the most voluptuous one in terms of the photography yeah. and the, the look of it. Yeah, and just being in the south and like you trying really to show the humidity. You were there. Oh, good. Oh, you felt it. Yeah, <laughs> we you were trying felt to it. trying to feel the heat of the it south. Made, it made you more uncomfortable to see those women doing their little modest field work and their little gardening in those full dresses. Yeah, I wanted you to feel them all buttoned up. About you to did. burst. <laughs> you, 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 you do. You sit there and go, oh, God, why, why are these, these poor women? They must be, like, suffering to death in this thing. And then now, the sexual tension underneath it all. <laughs> when you cast someone to play that part, what did you want in an actor who played the lead role that Farrell plays? What were you looking oh, for? Yeah, we had to have—I wanted a really masculine guy that could, um, you know— handle all these women but like charm a 12 year old you know a woman in her 40s kind of had a range and I knew that he could be complex enough that he was you know he could be mysterious and complicated to them and and really be a contrast to their kind of delicate pale feminine world so he had to be you know have mystique and a narcissistic and, yes he's he, like underneath every scene it's almost like and Colin Farrell obviously is a movie star yeah and what I loved is almost in every scene he's like go ahead admit it you want me yeah exactly you yeah. want me whatever age they were in the house yeah, everyone like, in the house just just let's tell me up front you want me right yeah yeah he, and he and he was I'd like that he's like the thinking woman's sex object that he's just like there you know like the hunk but but that hopefully there's more going yeah. on. And well, in the book, he was Irish immigrant. So when I met Colin, I thought, oh, that just adds to his exotic charm. Being in your family, would you say that there's been as much down as there's been up? Has it been hard as well for you? Oh, uh, definitely. I mean, we've gone we've gone through our yeah. Every family How has primarily. Um, I mean, uh, well, my dad definitely had ups and downs in his career where. He was successful and then could lose everything. And so, but he was a bit of a gambler. Yes, he was a gambler, (laughs) but it was always exciting. Yeah, yeah. And then we had a personal loss with my, I lost my brother as a teenager. So, um, you know, so there's. How old were you when that happened? I was 15. I was 15. My eldest brother. Yes, yes. So I think it had, I mean, it had a big impact on our family. So, um, yeah, so I feel like we've been fortunate in some ways. And then, you know, you've experienced the the worst moments of yeah. life. So I can't imagine now having children as a, as a parent because I may know how it affected us as a, a family, but... Um, the child yeah. of your children yeah. is the ultimate uh, despair. Yeah, yeah no, I can't even picture it. So. But your mom, on the other hand, I mean, your father, who I don't know well, and, and, and don't think I could because he's just so... Whenever you're around him, it's so intimidating, let's face it. I mean, you're, he's your father, so it's different. But uh, your mom, though, is such a unique... She's Plain very down. speaking, very down to she's earth. She's very down to earth. And, and how did that situation that. with your brother, does it, does it seems like something that she um, she conquered that. Yeah, yeah. No, I know it was obviously a huge struggle for them, but she she dealt with it in her personal ways. She and found a way. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's true, a lot of people fall, fall apart, and she was able to um, find some way to, to go on with her. Right. So, yeah, so she's... Strong, but she seems petite and quiet, but she's strong. She's incredibly clear. Yeah. This is my opinion, the brief few days I was there. How would you say that uh, for you, beyond being a mom and your issues with your raising your kids while you're working and doing this very difficult work, how else does that affect your work, you being a woman? I, I don't know, because you put your personality. So I think women have different qualities, I don't know. People have said that I'm like maternal on set, or I don't know. I think I just have a different point of view as a as a guy. So I feel like 
that's an advantage to have a different point of view. Are you always serene when you're working? I am. I I think I got that from my mom when you said that she keeps it together on set. People think I'm so calm on set, and I think we're good at concealing our our stress because you got to keep it together for your crew and everything. So, yeah, I have a different demeanor, so I'm sure. um, You have a very soothing demeanor. And the other person that I worked with once, I didn't even work with you, but someone I worked with who had that kind of demeanor is Woody. Oh, really? And when you work with him, but it's it's such a great, it achieves such a great effect. Oh, that's interesting. Because if you relax people, you're more likely to get to something good if they're relaxed than if you're... Yeah, uh, that's uh, what tormenting I think. them. Exactly, that's what I've I worked think. with a couple of directors who were from the torment school. Yeah, I never understood that, and I know there's a lot of hothead behavior, but yeah, no, I feel like um, yeah, you want to put everyone at ease and do, so everyone can do their best. So, did you ever get frustrated working where you really, really lost it? I never lost it. I always keep it together. <clears throat> I've had frustrating moments for sure, but um, do you go home and lose it? Yeah, yeah, I go home. Yes, I go home and lose it. Yeah. Not, not so much, but I've had moments with yeah. What's the hardest part of it? I mean, I'm an actor who directed one film, and I found it so difficult because I wanted to map it out, and I wanted to lay it all out and have at least have a plan, which we could then deviate from. Yeah. You have to have a vision in your mind. Like, I see it all in my head beforehand, for sure, like when I'm writing it and I'm picturing the actors exactly how they say it. But then you come on set, and you see how they do it, and, and it's like how you imagine, but then they add something that you didn't expect. And I, I think you just have to be really flexible and and open to... How do you experience movies now? Is it links and DVDs and and Oscar material and privately at home, or do you go to the movies? I love going to the movie theater. I mean, I'm also... I imagine you don't have time for that, though. Yeah, so I watch a lot of movies at home, but, um, but whenever I go to the theater, I live near Film Forum and... And, and just living in New York is so exciting to get to see all these revival of old films. Sure. I, it's just such a different experience, especially nowadays with being in contact and having your phone around all the time. It's distracting at home to really get lost in a movie. So yeah. I am. Um, I keep I telling people, I hope they go see it, mine in the theater. But I love going to the movie theater. It's such a different experience. When you think about your nature, when you think about the time you live in now and you making films now in our society now, are there films you look back on historically or even currently and think, I wish I'd made that film. That's a film I would make. Oh, that's funny. I've never thought about that. I've seen an old film and thought, that's the kind of movie I would make. No, I, th- I mean, there's movies that I admire and I love, but I, I've never... It's, movies are so personal. It's like your children or something. It's It comes from you, so I can't imagine looking at another movie and thinking, I so wish I had character. made that. There's not a female character in a film that you think reflects who you are and how you feel. About life and your career and Scarlet your family. No, I'm just kidding. Scarlet- <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, I can't. I can't think of one. But of course, there's there's so many that I admire and and love. And um, but I can't think of one. But where are where are you in your films? Are you in your films? How uh, you feel th- yeah. about life? Where are yeah, you in this definitely. current film? I'm in all of them. This one, I think, it's a little bit maybe my a devilish side, or you know, like. Um, I don't know. I was having fun with with this. You don't, one. Need, you don't need to. You don't need to explicate that. Yeah. We get it. We get the <laughs> no. whole Colin Farrell thing. Yeah, we get no, it. No, no. <laughs> um, in this film, there's because there's the there's Elle who's 18 and Kirsten and then Nicole. There, there. I feel like I've been each age of that woman in that kind of stage. I'm not like those characters, but I can kind of relate to kind of the the girls at different stages. But I don't know. I always find it. I always put things about myself in them um, at that moment. But this the idea that we're always questioning who we are, 
We're always questioning, at least I am, the life I have. I'm always thinking of alternatives. Well, what about this and what about this? Until you finally realize I'm doing precisely what I was meant to be doing. Yeah, what you want to do. Do you feel like you're doing precisely what you were meant to be doing? I do. I do. I feel like I'm doing what I want. I'm excited to get to do what I want to be doing. You're not sorry that you didn't become a painter? Uh, No, no, because I can always do, I can always have hobbies. (laughs) I can always, I feel like I can do other things. But no, I feel like I'm doing what I enjoy doing. You're doing what you were meant to do. Yeah. What are you going to do next? Uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to uh, summer vacation with my kids <laughs> and decompressing and getting the movie out there. It's you know it's that hustle right before. Yeah. Do you have a lot of you put a lot of pots on the stove of things you might do or you, or no? No, I haven't mean, I had a few ideas when I was starting to think about this. So now I'm going to kind of revisit. But I don't. I've always heard that Woody Allen has a drawer full of ideas. I don't have that that drawer. As luck would have it, she doesn't need one. This is Alec Baldwin. Here's the thing comes from WNYC Studios. <laughs> 